The Athletic. Before you get started on this episode, listeners, we've got a small favour to ask. We want to know what you think of our podcast, so we've got a short survey where you can tell us exactly what you like and what we can do better at theathleticsurvey.smsinc.co.uk. As a thank you, you'll be entered into a prize draw to win one of three £100 Amazon shopping vouchers. Now, I'm afraid we're only after the feedback from UK-based listeners at this stage and you won't actually be able to enter the draw if you're not in the UK, so don't waste your time. But if you are in England, Scotland, Wales or Northern Ireland, then do head on over to theathleticsurvey.smsinc.co.uk. That's theathleticsurvey.smsinc.co.uk. Thank you and on with the show. Totally Football Show. They're just not that interim. Search for a Man United manager continues while Carrick gets them qualified in the Champions League and Pochettino gets experience of managing a disjointed team of superstars in Manchester. Ralph Ragnick emerges as the hot choice. We'll have more on that story. And we'll run up all the midweek drama. Barca on the brink. Milan thanking their Macias. Chelsea, they no longer have Oscar, but they would like to thank the academy. Plus, we look ahead to the weekend as Thomas Tuchel's side hosts Man United and pretty much everyone else plays at 2 o'clock on Sunday. It's the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Well, listener, Thursday 25th of November, as I sit here gazing at the visages of Nuruddin Chowdhury. Hi, Noz. Hiya. All right, Tom Williams also on board. Hi, James. Court correspondent for the big case in Paris. And Duncan Alexander also here. All right, Duncan. Hello, James. Hello. Hello. Tom, your courtroom days are over now at Versailles. You must be glad. Or do you miss it? Um, I mean, I, I didn't mind it as, as an experience, a bit of a novelty, uh, mm. covering a three-day trial that was conducted entirely in, um, or almost entirely in uh, hard-to-understand colloquial French. But yeah, I didn't actually, I wasn't present for the verdict Ooh. in the uh, Affaire de la Sex Tape, uh, but I was, of course, there for the three days of the, uh, of the proceedings. Did they play the sex tape in the court? They did not play the sex tape Why not? Tape in the that's court. surely, if you're the lawyer, that's the first thing you're going to do. If you're the judge, why would you take prob- that case and not demand yeah. that they... Because, I mean, like, I, you, you don't need to know what's in it. It's, its existence alone is enough, I would have said. Right. All right. And also just in the interests of, you know, the, uh, the, the, the two people who feature in no, it. No, you're absolutely pro- right. Probably legal wrangles yeah, there, yeah. I would have thought. Yeah, nobody needs showing to... showing that in open court. All right, Mary Whitehouse. Right. Come on. Right. Do they have the same culture in France of corrupt courtroom drawings? Yes, there were courtroom artists in place. Right. Imagine if they'd had to illustrate the sex video. Crikey. <laughs> um, was he banged to rights, though, Tom? Because there are some people saying, well, he was just trying to help. But you've, you've heard the judge's verdict. They are appealing it. He's been given a one-year suspended sentence for complicity in the attempted blackmail of his former teammate, Mathieu Valbuena. Was he banged to rights? Well, in in the eyes of the law, James, yes, he was banged to mm. rights. I mean, this the, the Benzema's involvement in the case all hinged on this conversation that he had with Matteo Valbuena at Clairefontaine back in October 2015. Benzema's account uh, and and that offered by his lawyers was that he was just being a pal and warning Valbuena that there was some you know 
baddies out to out to get him, uh, whereas the prosecution alleged that actually he was one of the baddies himself. Um, and and that's you know that's what the judge decided. And, and I mean we we heard um, a recording of a phone conversation that Benzema had with his. Uh, his friend Karim Zanati, um, who was one of the guys in, also involved in the, who was one of the co-accused, and that was played during the trial, and it mm. it sounded pretty damning, to be honest. You well, know, he says he, he says that Valbuena's not taking us seriously. Yeah, and I think that us was probably quite fatal in the end. Um, mm. You know, the, the tone of it was very sort of callous, very mocking. You got a sense that Benzema was quite enjoying the distress that Valbuena was caused. And when the judge uh, handed down his verdict yesterday, he sort of referred to the excitement, the exhilaration that Benzema appeared to have felt at having been drawn into this whole thing. Um, mm. So, yes, as you say, his lawyers have announced that they're going to appeal. But he, you know, he's, he's been convicted. He now has a criminal record in France, which he didn't have before. And at the very least, although he's not going to prison and he probably won't lose too much sleep over that €75,000 fine, it's, it's not a great look. No, indeed not. Didn't seem to affect him, though, midweek as he banged in another for Real Madrid in that Champions League as they travelled too far away and, for many people, non-existent Transnistria to take on uh, surprise side Sheriff Tiraspol. Uh, before we get on to all the other big stories this week, let's get a quick check on the headlines from around the midweek action. Tuesday, Bayern sealed top spot in Group E in the snow in Kiev. Barcelona, though, still not through. After a spectacular goalless draw with Benfica, they may need a win in Munich next time. Man United and Michael Carrick's first game in charge wrapped up their spot with a win at Villarreal. While any one of Villarreal, Atalanta or Young Boys could still join them. Group G is tight and thus oxymoronically also wide open. Lille, Salzburg, Sevilla and Wolfsburg can all still go through. While Group H, not so much. Chelsea in devastating form with a 4-0 thrashing of Juventus. Both those teams now qualified. On Wednesday, Man City 2-1 winners over Pochettino's PSG. Both teams now through to the last 16, but who will be PSG's manager there? Meanwhile, in Group B, the so-called group of death, Liverpool absolutely killing it. Ten points clear now after their 2-0 win over Porto with very much a reserve-tinged side. The other three sides, Atletico, Milan and Porto, separated by just one point after Milan got their first victory away at Atletico Madrid. In Group C, Ajax already through, Sporting booking their place with a 4-0 win over Dortmund, which puts them into the Europa League, while in D, it's Real Madrid and Inter who qualify. Inter for the first time in the knockout stages in 10 years, and the remarkable Sheriff Tiraspol go into the Europa League. All four Premier League sides, you'll have noticed, qualified now and looking dominant. Four wins this midweek, 10 goals scored, only one conceded that Mbappé goal. Uh, the Etihad with Chelsea facing Man United this weekend in the Premier League let's start with how they got on you're listening to the Totally Football Show sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network Chelsea and Man United is this week's big Sunday afternoon set to Chelsea of course very much top of the table Man United not so much and uh, Stamford Bridge a tricky place to go Noz how are you feeling uh, about this one and after that uh, 2-0 victory over Villarreal. You, you must have been a bit nervous before that game. Uh, I, I was, but I mean, not not uh, massively less nervous after it, just because um, it was a 2-0 win, but it could easily 
Villarreal could have easily been three 0 up uh, before United scored. It was uh, it was it was not a good display. It's it's quite, it's quite interesting how people are clutching for anything because after the game, a lot of people were talking about how how tactically the team looked far better and more compact, and I, and I, and I felt that was clutching at straws a little bit because I didn't really see that. Um, it just seemed as chaotic as ever, um, and you just had a different. Former legend on the on the sideline. Um, so yeah, I mean it's it's funny because if Solskjaer was still in charge, I'd actually fancy United to get a result against Chelsea because that's the pattern. The pattern mm. is Solskjaer always looks as if he was struggling and he might get sacked, and then he'd pull a, he'd pull a result against the Chelsea. Yeah, that that was also the pattern with Liverpool and Man City, as I recall, and and, and recent encounters with those two teams didn't work out quite according to that paradigm. What did you make, Tom and Duncan, of uh, Man United under Michael Carrick? Yeah, I mean, I agree with Noz in that I, I don't think Carrick did anything revolutionary from a tactical point of view. Obviously, only been uh, in, in sole interim charge for a matter of days. But I, it felt like United were a bit more cautious um, than they might ordinarily have been. It felt like they were getting more players behind the ball. The wide players were were dropping deeper when United were out of possession. It was slightly confusing at the start of the game because Ronaldo started out on the left and you had Martial up front and then they swapped over quite quickly. It, but it, it did feel to me a little bit a little bit more backs to the wall than, than perhaps we've seen from United in recent weeks. And I suppose given the very unusual position that Carrick is in as the interim to the interim manager, he's got very little to lose. Uh, you know, and also given that United have, have hit rock bottom in recent weeks, so if if he decides that the best way to approach this game and the Chelsea game is to be defensive um, and and you know not not attempt to sort of seize the initiative uh, in the hope of of kind of stopping the rot, which is basically the only thing he has to do, the supporters will will probably accept that in a way they might not have accepted. From you know Solskjaer say so I, I I I can see I can see the sense in going for a slightly more belt and braces approach um, and yeah I mean as Nod says United were under the cosh for long periods it was quite a classic sort of United performance this season in that very reliant on David de Gea keeping them in the game and then Ronaldo making the difference at the mm. other end Jaden Sancho I think, that, I, think that, I think that clean sheet will have will have done them good yeah and Jaden Sancho getting his getting his first goal that should be a big weight off his shoulders as well I mean. The first rule as a caretaker manager, whether you're interim caretaker, full-time caretaker, etc., is to kind of make a sort of start an 11 statement that differs you slightly from the previous manager. And obviously, Jane and Sancho was in, um, Van der Beek was in, Alex Tellez came in. As Tom said, Ronaldo started on the left. There were little tweaks here and there. And I thought it was interesting, you know, Carrick clearly regards Fred pretty well. Um, and, and Fred had a good game. He's probably the you know the the best United midfielder in the game. Um, was integral in, in both goals. Um, and he went up to him at full time. He Sancho obviously scored his first goal. He made a point of going to him at full time. He'd taken him off you know with a minute or so to go you know to get the applause I think of the of the travelling United fans. And it's pretty subtle, but I think that was a slight you know these players probably didn't get a fair crack of the whip under under Oli. So mm. yeah, I thought it was. But as Nod said, it could have easily been three or four nil to Villarreal by that point. So it wasn't like United magically improved. But I think Carrick did did make little kind of you know steps to say this is a slightly new era before the next new era. All right. Well, for his next trip, assuming he'll be in charge, it is that trip to Stamford Bridge to face a Chelsea team who looked awesome 
on Tuesday in their 4-0 win over Juventus. Juve not in the best of shape right now, but still 4-0. To put that in perspective, they've never lost by four goals in the Champions League. And no one's done it to them in any competition since Roma did in uh, February 2004. The Quattro Papini game for Roma fans. You know the one? Totti holding up four fingers to Eagle Tudor. Cassano scoring a brace, then breaking the corner flag and then getting a very stern telling off from uh, Pierluigi Collina, who came over and stared at him. Um, even <laughs> how Cassano. Did, how did they tell he was staring specifically? Oh, no. Watch the footy. You can tell. It's, mm. yeah. Cassano, never the same after that. That's when the donut thing started. Anyway, but this Juve here, not quite at that level, um, but what, what about Chelsea? What about all these academy players? For years, they never got near the first team. And now look at them. Well, they Frank Lampard's legacy. Gone but not forgotten. The man who opened the door to all these academy players and then was callously bundled out of the exit when it turned out he wasn't actually a very good manager. Um, but yeah, I mean, for years we've, we've talked about uh, how good Chelsea's youth system is. They just seem to rack up UEFA Youth League after UEFA Youth League. And, and we went a long time without seeing any of these players in the first 11 and, and now we are and they're all seizing the opportunity you know you had Trevor Chalabar scoring his third goal of the season you've got Reese James who was just the most phenomenal footballer and gets more impressive every time you watch him Callum Hudson-Odoi who's enjoying the best spell of his entire Chelsea career you know getting a goal as well and they just dismissed this you know Juventus team albeit a, a, a slightly patchy Juve team going through a, a bit of a transitional season with contemptuous ease. I mean, they were leagues better, th- better than Juventus. Um, I thought it was really, really impressive. Just on Rhys James, I'd echo very much what Tom said. He's got five goals and five assists. It's almost December and he's Chelsea's top scorer this season. And if you look at a map of his shots this season, they're pretty much all on that sort of right-hand side of the box. Five goals from pretty much the same position. And he hits the ball so well. Like That goal against Juve... You can watch, I mean, obviously we'll probably come on to Thiago's hit on, on Wednesday, Oof. but Rhys James, he's, it's not the first time he's done that this season. He just strikes it so, so well. And you can see the, the UV defender thinks, I can get this, but it, his leg is, you know, waggling in the air and it's, the ball's already in the net. So, yeah, mm. he's just an outstanding player. Quite a picture you paint there, Duncan. On, his, on the subject of his technique, it is, it's not just his ball striking. You look at the way that he controls the ball, the way he chests the ball. I mean, something that I, I find really remarkable about Rhys James is that he looks so unhurried. He looks so calm. He almost looks like he's taking more time than he actually has. But because he has so much faith in his technique, he's able to get away with it. And he just sort of like struts around the place, pinging passes, whipping in perfect crosses, you know, smashing shots past goalkeepers as if he's out for a sort of Sunday morning stroll. I think it's interesting um, that Chelsea and City, uh, Manchester City are both teams that we obviously... Um, uh, we talk about the money being pumped in and the players they're buying. Both are actually at a level now where they are bringing these youth players in. City, especially like like uh, at least um, Chelsea have had a few years of this now, but che- uh, but City are now really sort of bringing in these players that that have really benefited from the investment they've put in the youth. Um, mm. Obviously, you've got Foden who's amazing, but then you've got uh, Cole Palmer who looks who looks so composed and he's he's playing that false nine position as a kid as like an 18 year old which is an amazing is, is amazing and then you've got this uh this new lad called uh called uh james mcatee who's um who's dubbed the the the, the salford silver um and it, and it and it's what's interesting is not only are these players actually breaking through whereas previously uh people assume they wouldn't 
but it's it's very continental style players. It's very they're very sophisticated uh, both technically and tactically, um, mm. and and it kind of again relating it back to United, it kind of the one thing United had was the youth thing, and now they're falling behind there as well. Crikey! But as a general point, I mean, think you English club academies now are producing players that are technically brilliant, and it's we've come a long way from you know the the era of they'll run more and faster and harder. Yeah. And, and and it it's really satisfying if you if you like football in general just to see pretty much at most clubs in the Premier League there's one or two players that have come through, and they're so technically adept they're not scared to have the ball and and that sort of thing. When I was a kid playing football, you know, you, as soon as you got the ball, someone would shout, "Get rid of it! Get rid of it!" Which was the kind of that might have just sad... been you, Duncan. Yeah, it was just. <laughs> oh no, I just realised it was. Just... No, <laughs> but you know what I mean. It's like the that kind of like English thing of like the the less you have the ball, the better. Right. You just got to pop up the. Feel like Royal the Rovers and smash well, it. Yeah, in, but so. that's. I mean, it's not just English. I mean, Mourinho's entire kind of treble winning campaign was built on that. But no, I was just. I, I think generally kids in those other countries would still be brought up in the correct way in terms of their their right. footballing upbringing. So yeah. Mm. R.I.P. the Cloggers. They've gone without us even getting a chance to say goodbye. Have they though? Have they? Anyway, Chelsea are taking on Man United on Sunday at four thirty. Duncan and Tom, how miserable a time is Noz going to have? I mean, you w- you wouldn't you'd be a brave man to back Manchester mm. United to go to Chelsea in the form they're in and beat them. But that win uh, against Villarreal has given them a little bit of momentum. Has Tom, has that, sort of that Chelsea attack against that Man United defence. True, true, true. But you know, the Villarreal result draws a line in the sand. If nothing else, right. I think, it, as I was saying before, I, I suspect United will, will probably approach this quite cautiously. Chelsea are going to be missing key players. You know, Sandy mm. looks like Ben Chilwell's going to be out for the rest of the season, which is a terrible blow for him because he didn't really play much over the first few weeks of the season. He'd had the disappointment of going to the European Championship and, and not really getting a look in because of Luke Shaw's form. He's only just come back into the team, and now he's you know picked up this picked up this serious injury. And Golo Conte went off injured as well. So, you know, Chelsea aren't full strength. Do I think United are going to win? No. But are these <laughs> are these reasons for, for some optimism? Yes. Recently, Chelsea's been the one big game that United have been pretty much imperious in. Chelsea have gone winless in the last seven Premier League games against United. Um, haven't had a longer run than that since the 50s. But it's Manchester United in 2021 and... If they do lose, they'll have lost six games out of 13, which is, uh, you know, as many as they lost in the whole of last season, which is pretty damning. Um, and let's not beat around the bush. Chelsea have let in as many goals this season as United did in the first half against Liverpool. So it is a, it is a mismatch. So, yeah, I, I, yeah, Chelsea do have a few issues, but I, I really can't see United getting anything this time. Crikey. Well, next up, we'll be looking at some of the other questions from midweek. And also... The topic of who's going to be managing Manchester United in the long term. That's after this. Uh, it's the Paddy Power Football Supporters Support Line and today we're talking to Chelsea fan Dave. Hi Dave. Yeah, uh, Lukaku looks to be back but I'm concerned about his ankle injury. Oh, it doesn't matter, mate. Of course it matters. What if the leg goes? Well, if one goes, that doesn't matter, does it? Hey? Yes, that's right, Mr Chelsea fan. If one leg of your bet builder lets you down, you can get your money back as a free bet. Paddy Power. Pre-match online bet, but a bet only. Min odds one to five per leg. Min four plus legs. Max free bet ten pounds per day. Excludes enhanced match odds. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Marisa Pochettino managing in Manchester midweek, but his team wasn't united as they went down 2-1. Paris Saint-Germain away at Man City. But probably coincidentally to that, it now looks like he's no longer the front runner to take over at least till the end of the season from Michael Carrick. Instead, hot favourite is Ralph Rangnick, the man who made RB Leipzig and Red Bull Salzburg Champions League teams. And so much more. One man who knows Ralph Rangnick extremely well is, of course, Raphael Honigstein. So let's get his thoughts on this development. Well, I think you saw in the last few games that this United team were, were screaming out, maybe silently, but nevertheless yearning um, for some structure, for some order, for some idea that is bigger than give it to particular people, they will do something with the ball up front. And Rangnick is, of course, the epitome of organised collective football. He is one of the big innovators in Germany who has inspired countless coaches, including Thomas Tuchel and Jürgen Klopp, who he didn't work with, but was playing similar football at the same time in the German second division when very few people were, and they inspired each other. So basically, top coaching, a strong ethos on having a, a clear idea of what everyone is supposed to do, There'll be some pressing, I'm sure, how much there will be, um, I think, is yet to be determined because you need to deal with Cristiano Ronaldo. But I think, overall, it wouldn't surprise me if we see an immediate uplift, as we saw when Thomas Tuchel took over from Frank Lampard, because even in the shortness of time, I think there is a real benefit in just telling the team exactly this is what I want, rather than trusting them to somehow find solution, which I think in 2021 isn't really a viable alternative anymore. Mm. Rafa, there have been some question marks over whether Rangnick would be interested in a in a job that didn't involve a broader role, perhaps even as a sporting director. Is, is the plan, do you think, that he takes over for a while and then moves upstairs when somebody else comes in in the summer? Yes, I think that is the plan, James. I think the contract uh, will terminate at the end of the season, come what may. Of course, you can renegotiate if he wins the Champions League and, and finishes fourth, who knows. But I think the idea for Man United is to keep him on for seven months and then he will be uh, kept in the club or close to the club uh, in a role that I think isn't yet defined clearly, but will involve benefiting from his network, benefiting from his know-how, maybe consulting him when it comes to player acquisition where he's been again I think uh, really successful in recent years so I think there's been some slightly misleading reports in recent uh, weeks and months saying that he demands total control everywhere he goes I think that's that's actually not the case it was the case 
at uh, at RB Leipzig, of course, it was the case of Hoffenheim. But then these were clubs that didn't really have any structure, so they put him in, put him there, and he created them. But I don't think that there was ever a chance that he would say, "I'm only doing the job if I'm taking over the whole club. I have to make every decision." Okay, Rafa. Very very briefly, then, are Noz and other Man United fans are they going to enjoy watching Rangnick's Man United? I think so. I think it should be very exciting. I think it should be a football that's based on on collective movement, on being very direct, very vertical, trying to hunt the ball in packs, living on transition, and really just a lot more energy and a lot more coherent energy. I think that's the main thing. No individual pressing anymore. So mm. I think it'll be it'll be a very good appointment. All right. Will Paul Scholes be happy? I think he'll be happy, yeah. But is Paul Scholes ever happy? Raphael Honigstein, and you can hear more or read more from Rafa across the uh, Athletic's various channels on that and other breaking stories. Athletic, by the way, not sure if you noticed this, got a top Black Friday promotion on at the moment. You can subscribe for £1 a month. And that offer is available until midnight on the 28th of November, which I think is Sunday. Yeah, there you go. Ooh, let's have a quick word about Man City and their 2-1 victory over Paris Saint-Germain on Wednesday. City avenging their defeat away in Paris on match day two and sealing top spot. Anyone enjoy this? It was the battle of a team versus a collection of 11 men um, All right. trying to be a team. I mean, City, it's a bit of a simple metric but City's pass completion was 94% which you don't get unless you are really really on the ball Bernardo Silva made 47 passes and completed 47 passes and you know City arguably without their front three but didn't really make much difference you know Riyad Mahrez possibly one of the most underrated players in Europe Uh, Bernardo Silva probably one of the best players in Europe and Raheem Sterling you know coming back into form it looks like and um you know City didn't really panic PSG had a, a bit of a good spell after they went ahead um but then City just worked their way back into the game. And I think Pochettino just looked a bit fed up by the end. He reminds me of like when you're a kid and you think, well, when I'm a grown-up, I can eat in McDonald's every single day because no one can tell me what to do. And then you, you don't actually want to do that when you're a grown-up because you know he's got all these incredible options, but they don't really function as a team apart from the few moments where they kind of you know step up. And it, it must be... It might... You know, Mbappe's goal was was excellent, but it, mm. it must be so frustrating as a manager who wants to control how a team plays and how they approach matches. Um, S- essentially, so. this is this is Pochettino's supersize me season. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> Incredible, lovely moment at the end of the game when the various Messi's and Neymar's are talking with City players, and a and a young un comes up, approaches this group. It must have been what nine, ten years old, but he asks for Bernardo Silva's shirt. He ignores the others. And he gets Bernardo Silva's shirt. And, yeah, as you say, uh, obviously somebody who'd appreciated those passing statistics. What did you think, Noz? City looking pretty special. Yeah, I mean, so good. I mean, I mean, it's a testament to the randomness and unpredictability of a football that they're not guaranteed to win everything. I think that's the, the they've, they've almost become the litmus test of, like, if if all other things were equal and if if, if you could... Um, if you could, if football was mathematical, they would win everything just because they're the best, best players, best coach, uh, play the best football, and it's and it's just the randomness of football that anything can happen that that may not happen because. Um, and again, similar to to to, 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 to the, get, the game in terms of individuals versus a team, those individuals can sometimes win 
just because they can get lucky or you can have an individual moment of brilliance. Um, but um, but yeah, City were always the better team, and uh, it's, it sounds as if Pochettino's done the perfect audition for United. If it's if it's a chaotic group of talented right. individuals mm-hmm. that, uh, that that sort of lost to City, uh, I think that's uh, perfectly qualifies him to, to to come on in, and it'll be business as usual. I mean, it, it felt to me like the archetypal PSG performance of recent times in that you saw, on the one hand, some examples of, of some of the good things they do, but the overwhelming feeling was one that you weren't watching uh, a proper football team. You weren't watching a cohesive unit. You were watching seven blokes and a goalkeeper doing their best to defend and you know, get into shape and follow their men uh, and all the other things that you think would be the absolute bare minimum that you could ask uh, of uh, a group of professional players. And then three guys up at the top of the pitch just sort of wandering around. And every now and again, when they got on the ball, mm. things happened. So the the goal, for example, uh, there was a slight slight de- deflection on Messi's cross, so a bit of a bit of good fortune there, but nice lick interchange in the immediate build up, and also later on uh, in the game when it was still one one, there was this fantastic PSG passing sequence that culminated in in Neymar springing into the box, um, finding himself one on one. Uh, with Edison uh, and, and putting the ball wide with his left foot. But beyond that, there was absolutely nothing. And there isn't going to be, as long as Pochettino is obliged to start with these three superstar players. And of course, he's never not going to be obliged to start with those three superstar players. They will always have to start every single game. And I, the, the sense I get from Pochettino in recent weeks is that he's just resigned to that. He gave an interview to Lequeep a couple of weeks ago and he said... And he always talks, whenever he's talking about his role, he always talks in the plural, Pochettino, because he talks about his coaching staff. And he said, we're not here for our project. We're here for the PSG project, which was a not particularly subtle way of saying, this isn't the way that I see football. This isn't how I think a team should be set up. But we've had certain things imposed on us here and we're going to do the best that we can. And, you know, thankfully, the quality in that PSG squad means that best that they can do is 11 points clear in Ligue 1 and into the knockout rounds of the Champions League. But the golf in terms of, uh, you know, sort of playing style identity was so blatant at the Etihad last night. And I think it just showed, you know, exactly where PSG's limitations are. It's not a Pochettino team. Like, you, you accommodate... Essentially, you've got three players at the front and then the rest have to accommodate that. Um, and... I think it's slightly different if if Pochettino were to take over, was to take over at United. It would be slightly different because at least there'd just be one player that isn't expected to to do that to sort of track and run and do all that business. Whereas at PSG, this three is it Harry Maguire? <laughs> it is, yeah. Our prima donna cup in his ears every right. time he scores and defends crap. Right, uh, Man City anyway, looking pretty good. And they're hosting West Ham Sunday at 2 o'clock. It's the League Cup exit revenge game. You'll recall that the Hammers knocked City out of their own personal competition, the Carabao Cup, breaking their stronger hold on that tournament after five years. West Ham are going to be in action on Thursday night away at Rapid Vienna. They're already through to the knockout stages of the Europa League. Ooh, they've only won one of their previous 15 visits to the Etihad. But then again, you know, football's not maths. Duncan, have some of that. So who knows what's going to happen at 2 o'clock. On Sunday. Hmm. Do you want to discuss Declan Rice and Aaron Ramsdale doing sing your dialect? I'm happy not Absolutely. to. Oh, do you? <laughs> okay. Tom, well, assuming, on, that, assuming we get, we're going to play a clip of it, right? I thought, do you I want thought it was to quite play impressive. a clip of it? 
other people doing karaoke without even a musical accompaniment is yeah but this is Declan Rice singing Ice Ice Baby and changing the lyrics to Rice Rice Baby and also sort of what I what I particularly enjoyed about it was I mean he's he's, you know no spoilers but he's basically word perfect and as he got deeper and deeper and deeper into the rap you could hear the smile that was obviously starting to spread across his face at the realisation that he was nailing it he was going to get to the end of the rap love it or hate it you better gang way you better hit the bulls out of kid don't play and if there was a problem yo I'll solve it Check out the hook while my DJ resolves it. Rice, rice, baby. Dun, 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 dun. To rice, sum up then, rice, Tom, uh, Valbuena sex tape, don't play that. Declan Rice doing Ice Ice Baby, play that. Just just to kind of be clear on the parameters. Sorry, Duncan. I should just point out Tom is the biggest karaoke fan I've ever met. Is so. he? What's mm. your song, Tom? Um, I, oh, come um, on. oh come on! What is it? I, I, I usually just do Oasis. I I, I used really? to. Um, I was in a. I was in a a, a very bad secondary school uh, indie band, and we that's basically enough. just did Oasis covers. And I just pretended I was Liam Gallagher. So that's what I okay. do. At karaoke. All right, Nos, what's your karaoke song? Don't worry, listener. We'll get through this quickly. <laughs> I like Arctic Monkeys. Mardi Bum. Hey there, Mardi Bum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, great, great. <laughs> this isn't going to go viral, is it? No, no. I, 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 was, I was slightly disappointed Tom's wasn't Moby. Damn, that's... <laughs> I mean, it would... Oh, my yeah, word. <laughs> what are you going to hit me with, Jimmy Somerville? <laughs> Duncan, what's your karaoke song? Well, the first time I ever did it a long time ago, I chose Paranoid Android by Radiohead, which it was a mistake. Six minutes of, uh, <laughs> of, of disappointment. Noodling. So. Yeah. Mm. Well, great track, though. Lovely stuff. Anyway, that's enough about Sing Your Dialect, and I don't understand why it's called that. Noz, can you explain to somebody across popular culture? Originally, it was it was just that. It was people singing in their dialect, so if you're a Scouser, you're singing a Scouser accent, but it just grew and grew, and I, th- I think spaces are fascinating. I think it's it's really blown up. Um, there's This the is Twitter it, Spaces, by the way. Yeah, so, so, mm. so, so the, it's, it's a little bit like Clubhouse, but the genius is that, like, when it comes up at the top of your Twitter, you can see people you follow that are mm. in it. And then mm. if you suddenly see, I don't know, Carragher or, or Declan Rice, it's, it's so so intriguing what's going on. Are they speaking? Are they listening? Uh, and uh, apparently Obama was on one of them. Well, just listening. I think he was, um, supposedely he was on this one, but never sang. <sighs> I mean, it, it could easily just have been his admin, let's face it, but still or interesting. I he think was in uh, the queue because I bet there were loads of people lining up to do <laughs> yeah. Wonder There was also, uh, I think, uh, I think Carragher's done one uh, last night. He oh, yeah? he took part, he he did In My Life by the oh, Beatles. By the Beatles. Right, yeah. yeah. What a song. So, yeah. All right, we, we're significantly off the track now. <laughs> we were broadly talking about West Ham's trip to the Etihad. Are they going to improve their record? But you know what? Can I, can, yeah. Can I just can I just ask a really off off piece question? Just because you were talking, no <laughs> talking about McDonald's. Yeah. You were talking about McDonald's and Manchester's got its second five guys. Now I've not been, but everyone hype everyone raves about it. Is is there anything to that? Is it any better than anywhere else? It's decent. I've eaten a five guys with James Richardson. Have you? That's interesting. Let's Noz. I'm not saying yeah. that's not an important question, but let's get the answer to it at the end of the show. Exclusive content only available to people who listen all the way to the end. Isn't that what um, Messi, Mbappe and Neymar call the PSG defence and goalkeeper? 
Brilliant stuff, Duncan. Now, in other Champions League... In other Champions League news, there were some terrifically important and terrific games played that didn't involve Premier League sides necessarily. Barcelona, for example, taking on Benfica in a a game that both sides were looking to win to go through alongside Bayern Munich in that group, ended up 0-0. Michael Cox calling it the best goalless draw he's seen in years. It featured two excellent, says Michael, disallowed goals and an extraordinary Last-minute open goal miss. It really was extraordinary as well. I don't know if you saw Benfica. It was from Harris Severovic of, of Benfica. Benfica manager Jorge Jesus, who's quite a venerable old chap now, collapsed on the sidelines, basically face down in the turf after this, uh, and, and said post-game, I'm devastated. I've been a coach for over 30 years, and I've never seen one of my players miss a chance like that. It was almost impossible. wonder how poor old Harris feels about that. Extraordinary miss, though. It was quite a harrowing miss in that the whole thing seemed to unfold in slow motion and he did everything right, but then in, in true sort of bad miss cliche, messed up the finish. But yeah, yeah, had an open goal to aim at and he yeah. was going to score the winner against Barcelona at Camp Nou at the death. Indeed, that leaves Barcelona still two points clear of Benfica, but they have a very difficult matchup coming up. They're going to be away at Bayern Munich. Benfica, meanwhile, are hosting the very poor Dinamo Kiev. So if they win that game, Barcelona will need the win away to Bayern, who, of course, are already through. So we'll see if they give them a bit of an easier ride. But Xavi uh, not enjoying as much success in, in this game as he had in the in the opening one, uh, the derby with Espanyol. What, what else did you enjoy? What else did you catch midweek? That mad 3-3 between young boys and Atalanta. Uh, Sebastian Allaire continuing his run as, as this year's Serge Gnabry. Yeah, he, his, his numbers are mad. He's the first player in recorded Champions League history to have three right-footed, three left-footed and three-headed goals in the same Champions League season. Which Seriously? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, he's, you rarely see someone adapt to Champions League football as quickly as, as he had. I mean, it just mm. makes it even funnier that Ajax forgot to register him for the Europa League last season. Nine goals in five games. He's level with Robert Lewandowski of Bayern Munich. Lewandowski contributing a, um, a very nice overhead kick in the snow away at Dinamo Kiev. Uh, story of the week, potentially, might just be Milan getting their first victory to keep their slim chances of qualifying alive, away at Atletico Madrid, who don't often lose at home, except when Liverpool go there. Uh, and it was thanks to a late header from Junior Macias. Do you, are, you, are you familiar with this incredible story? Junior Macias, who, who sort of sounds like a Mel Brooks film, uh, and appropriately enough, did score on the cross uh, from uh, Frank Kessie. <laughs> but he's basically a guy, he's a Brazilian guy, he's now 30. About eight years ago, he emigrated from... Uh, Brazil to Italy, dreaming of becoming a player. didn't work out. So he was running odd jobs, basically working as a courier, delivering stuff, that kind of thing. He was playing for an amateur side, which happened to play against a team where one of Paolo Maldini's sons uh, was featuring. So Maldini actually was in the stands and saw this guy and thought, huh, hello. Anyway, in the meantime, he, he gets a chance with Crotone. Crotone go up through the divisions and, and he, he, gets a, uh, he gets a run in Syria. And then Milan, based on the fact that Maldini always kept an eye on him, sign him up. He's been injured most of the season, but he comes in and scores in the, the Champions League. Huge. And as I say, it keeps uh, Milan's chances alive. Although to go through, they will need to beat Liverpool at San Siro. Uh, on the final day. Tell us about the Thiago goal for Liverpool in their victory over Porto, someone. 
Oh, should have passed. I, I, it was 0.02 xg. What's he doing shooting from there? Have they learned nothing? Absolutely fuming. It felt to me like a goal that can only be adequately described using guttural sounds. It was right. a thing of such majesty. The technique, the slice he puts on the ball, the way it just skips up off the turf. Uh, I thought it was all. It, it felt like a, a, a complete sensory experience. It had that kind goal. of Dambusters spin to the ball on the replays. And mm. One of the nice things about it is you get goals sometimes where each replay is better than the last, and that was very much uh, the, the case with this one. Uh, just, yeah, magnificent, magnificent. Uh, Jurgen Klopp's side, as I mentioned before, in what was dubbed the group of death, but 10 points clear as second-place Porto. I mean, it's just a joke, isn't it? The only slight issue maybe historically is only three of the 19 teams in previous seasons who have won five of their first five group games have actually gone on to win the uh, the Champions League so there is a slight sort of peaking too early nature to it but yeah I mean that group we all flagged it up as it's going to be the hardest and, and it isn't it's easy mm-hmm. Alright Noz you were mentioning the fact that Jurgen Klopp's in some hot water over comments he made about AFCON which is due to take away key elements of his team come the new year yeah, there was there was basically I think after the game um, there was a, a correspondent in the press conference who basically took him to task and kind of kind of said in the in his question that uh, you said that Afcon was a was a little tournament and I think that's massively disrespectful to to the tournament to the fans to the whole of Africa um, and. Obviously, that's quite a strong thing to say um, in a press conference, and uh, Klopp kind of reacted. Um, I mean, I think I think Klopp could have been a bit more magnanimous um, in his reply because Klopp was having none of it and kind of took uh, took a great affront to to being asked that question and saying that you've misunderstood. And he was right. It, I, I, I do believe he was misunderstood because essentially what what it, what was being referred to is um, in a previous press conference, Klopp was asked. Oh, aren't you glad that there's no international breaks now for a while? And then Klopp answered, "Well, something like, well, there's there's a little tournament called Afcon, or there's a little right. matter of Afcon. So right. obviously, it's a that's, small matter yeah, of the Afcon. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. So, so that's but, that's like, um, say, Lionel Messi getting upset with Peter Drury for saying, yeah, a certain Lionel mm. Messi. You know, the way that commentators do. Well, exactly. But 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 the, but the thing is that a lot of people took offence." from um africa and i think i think that is born from i don't think that's Klopp's fault but that's born from sometimes um the african cup of nations being treated like a an afterthought or like an inconvenience Mm. um by other people or Mm. like in the from the prism of the premier league which isn't good but then people are a bit more defensive about it so but I think in terms of Klopp, he could have just said, no, it was a misunderstanding. Um, I didn't mean that. But he, he kind of... He went Arteta on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Whereas right. like, a, yeah, it's, it's, it's still, it's still, there's, there's still a residue from it where people are still a bit annoyed about it. But yeah, it was just a misunderstanding. Uh, Liverpool are taking on Southampton. Uh, Saturday at three o'clock. Uh, moving on to this weekend's Premier League delights. Liverpool going for an English record. They've scored two or more goals in 16 games in a row, which is decent. The record is 17 by Sunderland in the in the 1920s. So um, that's up for grabs. Um, I want to see Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain complete 90 minutes. He hasn't done that in a Premier League game uh, since 2018. And he's looking increasingly better. He was really good against Porto. And he's been really good 
from quite a few games recently, um, which has been a massive plus for Liverpool given the injuries they've had in midfield. So, and obviously he started his career at Southampton, so maybe maybe he'll uh, trudge off the pitch after the final whistle. Crikey, that'd be something. One of three Liverpool players uh, to have passed at Southampton, Van Dijk and uh, Sadio Mane. Uh, famously as well. Uh, here's a stat on Saints, Duncan. And Minamino as well, albeit oh, Minamino. as a lone E. Right. OK. Yeah. Good shout. Duncan, is it true that only seven teams have had more shots than Southampton, but only Norwich have scored fewer goals than Saints with all those shots? It is true, yeah. They're having shots but not scoring, which for me is not good. So. All right. Yeah, well, I mean, so Southampton had been on a really good run of form, uh, albeit quite a short one, uh, three wins in four, and then lost at uh, Dean Smith's uh, Norwich last weekend, despite having taken the lead. And I think it was a game that, that showed some of the problems they've had in that it's not that they don't ever score, but that they tend not to score more than one goal all that often. And I think that was something that, that cost them at Carrow Road in that uh, not capitalising on that strong start gave Dean Smith the chance to rejig things a little bit in the second half um, and, and Norwich you know, came flying out of the blocks as you would expect having had the first uh, half-time rocket of, of the new manager's tenure um, but yeah as I say prior to that Southampton were, were looking good so I think they'll probably hope that they can uh, they can chalk that one off as a, as a bad day they off it's not that they will necessarily go to Anfield expecting to get too much out of it They may need to score more than one goal against Liverpool alright uh, well loads more uh, treats coming up in the Premier League this weekend. We'll get on to uh, those two o'clock Sunday kickoffs next. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite according to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Which might just come in handy when Brighton start being Brighton again and go back to outperforming their XG and not winning. Pre-match bet builders only. Get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Max free bet £10. Excludes enhanced match odds. T's and C's apply. It's over 18s only. And please gamble responsibly. Listener, why not head to LeicesterSquareTheatre.com to purchase tickets to The Totally Football Show live? Uh, we're going to be there, probably observing some sort of social distancing. Who can say what's going to be the uh, norms by then? Uh, on the 1st of February uh, 2022, when I say we, uh, Duncan Alexander's going to be there. Also Michael Cox, other folk too. Uh, be quick though if you want to join us because half the tickets, literally half the tickets have already gone. Woof. Strange shapes of this weekend's fixtures in the Premier League. Four games taking place in the 2 o'clock on Sunday slot. You've got your Brentford-Everton. 
And then the three teams involved in Thursday night Europa League and conference action are Leicester up against Watford, Spurs visiting Burnley and West Ham, as mentioned, at Man City. Of that four, Sky have decided to broadcast Brentford-Everton. Not sure. Autumn, isn't it? Got to use up, yeah. use up those games so you can show a relentless big six in the spring. So. Right. Brentford-Everton. It's the teams that were good five games ago, Derby. Uh, both sides have only taken one point from the last five Premier League games. I mean, you can understand Sky's choice from a sort of voyeuristic perspective in that seeing two teams who are in a slump suddenly scratching around for points... There's, there's a bit of a sort of, I don't know. Yeah, but when they chose them, they were probably in good form. So right. That's true. Mm. They probably thought it's up and coming Brentford against Rafa's pace setters. And, uh, you know, like a lot of Sunday lunch decisions, it, it backfired. So, um. but What about Leicester against Watford, which is, of course, Claudio Ranieri's first return as a visiting manager to the King Power. Wow. I'd, I'd love to watch that. I think I would. Well, it, could, it could be quite interesting, this, because, I mean, if you look at some of Watford's uh, more positive results this season, they, they do tend to fare well against teams who set out to attack them, but don't do it um, in a particularly cohesive way. So obviously, mm. uh, put Man United to the sword at Vicarage Road last weekend, won 5-2 at Everton not too long ago, and they've got players in that squad who, who can hurt teams who like to be on the board and like to leave space in, in behind, and... And Leicester have have really struggled of late, and I think you know we're all kind of expecting them to sort of shake off this this kind of early season hangover after after the highs of last season with the FA Cup and that ultimately um, unsuccessful tilt at a Champions League place. But they're looking a bit of a model, Leicester. Brendan Rodgers is sort of changing systems, changing personnel from week to week. Uh, they've got uh, you know key injuries. Yuri Tillemans is, is is the latest player uh, to have dropped out, and there's there's a vulnerability there. And I think whereas most Leicester fans will look at this as a great opportunity to you know to get back on track, you know at home against against lowly Watford, I I, I think Watford might actually have uh, players who can who can hurt them if they're, if they're not at it. Wow, we were hearing from Daniel Story on Monday about all the boos and unrest at the King Power last weekend. For Leicester, can you imagine how the Leicester fans would be if, if Claudio Ranieri now turns up and, and beats him? Uh, Burnley are up against Spurs, who are now doing shots on target, we see Duncan. which And they'll like this one because Burnley, nobody allows more shots on their goal in the Premier League than Burnley do. What's happened to Dyche? Well, Dyche has gone he's gone full Aussie Ardealers this season. He's, um, Burnley are sort of a, a sweeping, attacking team with Maxwell Cornet. Uh, doing the business. Um, only four players actually have ever got to double figures for goals for Burnley in Premier League history. And uh, Cornet's already halfway there, so that's, it shows how much impact he's had. All um, right, do we want to name has, the four? You can do. I think. I don't know if we can. Well, Tom? Well, Nas? Sorry, Burnley players who've hit double figures. Yes. Uh, in Brandon. total, not just in the season, but in total. Oh, what, in oh, their so, careers at Burnley? Yeah. Only yeah. four people? In the Premier League, they've had what five or six seasons something in the Premier League. So, um, so well, that, yeah, Chris, that's Chris Wood is one. Chris, Chris Wood, correct. Yeah, Ings, Ings, correct. That's a all right. We're, we're, harder one. We're flying. Ashley Barnes. I'm thinking yeah. probably not. Ashley Barnes. Yes. yes. <laughs> right. We got one more to get. The last one is currently starring up front for Wickham Wanderers and and led us to a big win against Plymouth on uh, on Tuesday night. Oh dear. 
How awkward that we're not as familiar with the. Well, I'm disgusted by your lack of uh, League One. Uh, it's uh, it's Sam Vokes. So. Oh. Yeah. Sam Vokes. Obviously, this is a Burnley home game against a big six team. So, as we know, it is a tough place to go, except when it isn't. And they've only won one of their last 29 home games against big six teams. Although that was against Spurs under Pochettino, actually. Right. Are Spurs still a... Are they a big six team? Have they had their card so. torn up? Or? They've no. got a pitch that you can take out of the stadium and there's an NFL pitch underneath. That's one of the founding memberships of big six, I think. And they're also level on points with sixth place Wolves, so they're, oh. you know, they're in touch. And actually on Spurs, um, mm. interesting stat from their uh, 2-1 win over Leeds last weekend. Uh, they outran Leeds, uh, Tottenham did, which doesn't happen very often at all. Uh, and certainly wasn't the sort of thing that ever looked liable to happen under uh, Nuno Espirito Santo, um, God rest his soul. So although mm. it's still very much, uh, you know... <laughs> early days uh, I think you know we are we are already seeing some of some of what uh, Antonio Conte is going to bring to Tottenham Tom's point is interesting because obviously you can boil football down to loads of tactical innovations and, and transfer now and stuff but sometimes you know a man like Antonio Conte shouting at you for 15 minutes at half time just makes right. you run more so okay is, 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 is there a simple reason why Leeds isn't working this season well, their defensive numbers are about the same, but their attacking numbers have fallen off a, a cliff, really. And obviously, they've missed Rafinha recently, Bamford for quite a few games. So, mm. I mean, most Leeds fans would say that, that the squad is very thin, relatively relative to other teams. So, when they get injured, it really does affect them, possibly more than, than other sides. I mean, all, all the teams with new managers did more running, didn't they, last weekend? That was something that, it's, that came it's out. It's hilarious. It's like, you know, it's like a... Going to a new school with a scary teacher. It's like, yeah, love running. Really enjoy it. Mm. Leeds are going to be taking on a Brighton team who are on a bad run mm. uh, this uh, weekend. Saturday tea time. Seven games without a win in all competitions for the Seagulls. But they have won eight of their last nine meetings with Leeds, including both fixtures last season. All right. Other things we could talk about before we wrap up the Premier League preview section... Uh, Arsenal taking on Newcastle Saturday lunchtime. That's usually an entertaining game. And here's a stat, uh, Duncan, from your colleague Orbinio. Mikel Arteta is yet to lose in 18 matches against teams called United. So Newcastle, Manchester, West Ham, Leeds and Sheffield. Basically, against them, Arteta is bulletproof. Incredible. That's all it takes. Suffix. The suffix game. It's funny this game. These are based on our old friend PPDA passes per defensive action. These are the the two least pressing teams in the Premier League this season: Arsenal, and Newcastle. I mean, Newcastle were always like this under Steve Bruce, so they are probably heading in, in the other direction in the Eddie Howe era. But they're relatively static. These two teams. So you remember that bit in The Simpsons where the commentator is sort of saying, commentating on a, on a soccer game, and it's like back to the centre, holds it, holds it. It could be a bit like that for a bit on, on this game, but hopefully not. Do you reckon? I, I suspect Arsenal will be quite relieved to come up against uh, non-pressy opposition after what Liverpool did to them last weekend. Reality check, I think, for Arsenal. But as Duncan was saying, that they, they will probably have a little bit more time on the ball in their own third uh, against Newcastle, albeit Eddie Howe's new look, super attacking Newcastle. 
Right. Eddie, of course, uh, potentially still isolating after his uh, positive test for COVID-19. Arsenal, meanwhile, have beaten Newcastle in six consecutive games in all competitions without conceding a single goal. And uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang has scored in all of his last five matches against the Magpies. Also this weekend, Norwich will try and make it three Premier League wins in a row. They're at home to Wolves. Wolves, though, very much the form team over the last seven games in the Premier League, in the top six now, as Tom was mentioning earlier on. There's also Crystal Palace against Aston Villa, a battle of two of the Premier League's all-time greatest midfielders, now managers, Patrick Vieira and Steven Gerrard. Steven Gerrard, who cited Patrick Vieira as a role model for him as a young midfielder. Which of those games gets you most excited, Noz? Um, I'd be interested to see whether Gerard continues his kind of Klopp-esque histrionics on the touchline. It's uh, it's interesting. Like both both Gerard and Conte have uh, have been mocked slightly for their for their celebrations by the celebration police on on social media. Um, but I think I think it does kind of help this this whole idea that um, when. Um, the, the the Liverpool Arsenal game was pretty pretty um, flat until until Arteta started on Klopp and then that got the fans going. Mm. I do th- I do think that um, Conte and and Klopp and and Gerard kind of showing a bit of passion on the touchline. If nothing else, it gets the fans going. What did Steven Gerrard do? He just he just massively celebrated and uh, right. did the whole chest bumps and stuff with his with his pals on the touchline. So. Brilliant. Again, there's nothing. There's nothing wrong with that. No, I, I think that's. I mean, Conte as well. Cr- crowd seem to feed off that that raw energy. Crikey! After the more restrained Nuno Espirito Santo, rest in peace, uh, and all that. Tom. <laughs> um, oh, I've got a stat I wanted to mention uh, about Crystal Palace. They're one of only five teams in the Premier League with positive goal difference. Right. Yes. Only five teams in the Premier League have positive goal difference. How's that possible? So basically, they've scored all the goals and everybody else is on minus. Well, I looked at this early in the season. If you take the top four, obviously City, Liverpool, Chelsea have got really healthy goal differences, unsurprisingly, because right. they go and smash teams week in, week out. West Ham, who traditionally don't usually get positive goal difference, are kind of in the middle with plus nine. And then Palace plus one, Wolves zero, and then everyone else on negative. So if you take those 16 teams, the 14 negative plus Wolves and Palace... It's only the second time in English top flight history that at this stage of the season that's been the case. So, um, and that was the season in the in the mid seventies. So, when they didn't even use goal difference. So it's a very unusual state of affairs. And I think it does, you know, maybe the points totals don't show it, but it does kind of demonstrate how much better the top three are than the rest of the league. You know, they are just winning games fairly comfortably um, when they do, and everyone else is sort of scrapping away and you know win some, lose some. Mm. I think it. I think it speaks to the fact that it's quite hard to know who is any good in the Premier League this season, apart from the top three. And the top three are obviously mm. really, really good. I mean, they're three of the best teams in Europe, and they impress you every time you watch them. And then basically everyone else. Uh, yeah. I mean, a lot. You know, a lot of the teams in the top half and around mid table, they sometimes look good and they sometimes look dreadful. And and so that sort of you know slightly unusual goal difference thing. I think that probably reflects the fact that we've got quite an quite an egalitarian um, Premier League this season if you take the top three out of the equation. Right. You could argue Wolves are probably the interesting one. As we said, they're on zero, but they're actually underperforming their XG by, by a lot. So they really should be higher than they are right. on the table. So, 
you know, everyone's talked about the fourth spot being open and, you know, could it be West Ham, Arsenal, Man United? I think Wolves Duncan. are on current form. They're a shout. Crikey. Noz? Um, just in terms, like, people moan all the time about the league. Like, if you've got one outstanding team that are far mm. ahead, like, mm. it's a one-horse race. If you've got three, it's kind of like this. This is, there's a mini-league and there's the rest of the league. If everyone is beating everyone, there's no outstanding team. Like, what is what is the <laughs> yeah. ideal makeup? What is the what, what would be the ideal makeup of, of a really strong league? Well, I think isn't isn't part of being a football fan the joy of moaning? So as such, you know, you yeah, just good point. take whatever you can complain about from from the sport and run with with that. And that's why people listen to this podcast. I think probably to have something, <laughs> yeah, complain about. But. Well, I think we were spoiled in the late nineties, early two thousands, where we had a, quite a lot of seasons where you'd have a team that started really well and maybe, like Nos said, looked a bit like a one horse race. You know, your Newcastle's mm. in the mid nineties or. Like Arsenal in 0203, but then you, after Christmas you get usually Man United sort of slowly hunting them down and, and sort of right. what what we regard as a classic title race. I think that's possibly what people are missing. But maybe well, I'm certainly enjoying it, and and I hope you are too, listener. Uh, of course, on Monday we'll be reviewing all the latest exciting developments in those matches. Very very shortly, a burger thoughts from Tom and Duncan. And, and, and other things too but first of all let's get some odds of course from Carl Monhorn of Party Power and producer Charlie Thank you James hello listener ah football it really is very good isn't it and the Premier League forget about it Carl Monaghan from Paddy Power joins me the weekend begins with Newcastle still winless and possibly still howless making the trip to Arsenal at Saturday lunchtime the Toonami up nice and early for that one Will they finally get to taste victory, Carl? Yeah, Charlie, it's a tough assignment for the Toon and they could really do with their new manager, Eddie Howe, in their corner for moral support. The Magpies drew 3-3 last week, but Howe would have focused on the positives his side's chance creation for one. They mustered up 18 shots in total with nine on target and enjoyed more possession than their opponents. That's the first time that has occurred in the last 10 games in all competitions. A small sign, maybe, of nice guy Eddie's immediate influence, perhaps. The Gunners, meanwhile, have won four of their six Premier League games at the Emirates this season, despite a spanking at Anfield last weekend, are in good form, all things considered. If you were to ask Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang what his favourite pie is, he'd most certainly tell you it's a magpie, Charlie. The Gabon striker seems to be triggered by the black and white stripes. He's scored in his last five matches against the Geordies and is a 16-5 shot to be the first goal scorer. The traders are napping in their hammocks in the midday sun here, Charlie, when it comes to pricing this one. Arsenal are 4-9 to nine to win the game. The draw is 15-4 to four, and the unlikely Newcastle shock is 11-2. to two. And the weekend ends with Michael Carrick, another Geordie, taking his Man United side to Chelsea. Can United, or anyone, score past the Thomas Tuchel engineered machine, Carl? Well, if Newcastle's trip to the Emirates... Is David Batty tough? This is more Vinnie Jones tough, Charlie. Stamford Bridge has never brought the best out of Man United, even in their pomp. And Thomas Tuchel's Harlem Globetrotters come into this game after annihilating one of Europe's top clubs, Juventus. The league leaders are priced up at 4-7 to seven for the win. The draw is 14-5 and the Man United win is 9-2. to two. Chelsea have four clean sheets in their last five games and 11 in all comps in total this season, Charlie. With Ronaldo and Sancho pressing coming into this one on the back of goals in the Champions League in midweek, maybe it's at least worth considering that United may at least score at the bridge. Chelsea to win and both teams to score is 5-2 to two and definitely is attractive. And how about one Reese James for the Ballon d'Or listeners? I'm kidding. 
But what a player he has morphed into this season. Crikey, Lukaku would have been proud of that volley against the old lady in midweek, Charlie. James, who can't stop scoring seemingly, is 17-2 to to score any time. And that looks too good not to dive into Charlie. You can find out these odds, listener, and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only, terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Totally Football League shows out uh, on this Thursday. Derby. Derby Noz up to one point in the championship after drawing 0-0 at Leaders Fulham. They've played the top two now this week, uh, the Rams, Bournemouth and Fulham, and have taken four points off them. Hey, you know, Man United... I know what you're thinking. Are, are you thinking it? Are they thinking it? Should they be thinking it? Let's do it. Let's, let's make it happen. Wow. We've got the power. This, the, 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 this podcast is so powerful and, and so influential that I'm, so, I'm sure if we started it in If here, we got Rio to endorse it, I, I feel like it, it would have a chance of happening. But what would you think about that? If, if we got Declan Rice to sing it mm. in spaces... Are we, we talking about the same thing, though? Wayne Rooney taking over at, at Man United? <laughs> I hope so, yeah. yeah. It would be, be a very weird conversation. If right. Talk, think about right. completely different things, yeah. Now, Noz raised an important question earlier on, yeah. and it's... And this is a. I, I feel like we're straying a little bit off our normal, pure, ethically pure kind of journalistic path here by seeming to endorse or otherwise a burger outlet. We've always shied away from it in the past, Tom. <laughs> Could turn down big money before. Um, yeah. <laughs> all the big burger joints hammering at the Totally Football Show door. So hang on, so not no, so, so two, Nos, yeah, to two, re- two five guys are now operating in Manchester. In Manchester. Yeah, uh, a, set, a second is opening. I just wonder right. whether it's have you all been? just hype. Have you been, Noz? Well, this is the thing. It's difficult for me because, A, I could only have it if it's halal. But right. I've heard yeah. that the that the chips yeah. are made in peanut oil. And I'm I'm allergic. Oh, right. Well, that's... So I think this question's almost over before we begin. If, if you're allergic it is, to it the is. Fr- <laughs> the fries are a key point. That's part of their USP. Exactly. Yeah, they because they, they, they do all five the spuds yeah, they get right. they have big bags of potatoes there in the entrance and and they don't inf- well, invite you to do your own. But they they, they've done them. Which potato farm right. they've got them from? Which I always find quite interesting. Like I imagine like the WhatsApp messages between potato farmers are going. Yes, we've just got five guys for the next two weeks. You know, right? Do they know. have underneath as you would in like a, a high end uh, coffee shop? You know, with notes of chocolate and almond and hint of cranberry. Notes of potato and starch. Yeah. 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 <laughs> My 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 biggest issue with burgers at, at the present is there's a yeah. there's a big trend to make them as yeah. big as possible and sort of really sort of uh, lean into the gluttony side and like just oh. just sort of like they'll make a massive burger that's a massive towel burger and then just drench it in like American orange cheese and and right, I just I'm think not, uh, we, I'm we not sure to, where you're where you where you're. I've seen that video. Course. I know what you mean. Yeah, it's it's pretty pretty grim. But I think okay. a, a burger a burger you should be able to hold and eat. Not with a knife and fork. I tell you what, I've been, I've been getting into my vegan burgers of late. Well, yeah. not, Thank you, Tom. not a Thank vegan you. myself. And if, if you're looking for a joint where the burger fits yeah. in your hand and fits yeah. in your gob, the vegan route might be the route to go down. Okay. Uh, that, that's, you know, you're talking about trends in burgers. And, of course, the meatless burger is very much one of the hot new developments, the march of science affording us. Uh, is it beyond beef and ultimate beef and... Uh, I may be getting these names wrong, listener, but but yeah, has anybody had one? 
Well, there's a place near me called Neat Burger, which is right. a vegan burger place, and it's got it's got a very nice interior decor. It feels right. a little bit like a kind of Californian milkshake bar from the seventies. It's all right. sort of pinks and like leaf patterns and things. That old right. classic decor, <laughs> and it's always it's always empty, which which dismays me a little bit. So I'm trying to bang the drum for them as often as okay. possible. I so. had a I had I had a I think it was a Beyond Beef Burger in 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 California actually. It was. It was tasty. Um, that was. Do you know what? That was that. The sound there was. That was the last listener uh, leaving. <laughs> Come back, Patrick <laughs> so Burger. We, Let's do. We we'll now. do five minutes on Patrick Burger. Five guys is the is is the number of people listening now. Yes, <laughs> and, and that's us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We produced Charlie. Nicely done, Nos. Um, right. Okay. Well, there, there you go. I would. I mean, obviously, I think you've got major issues before you go anywhere near Five Guys yeah. or any burger place. By the sound of it. And, you know, the planet, right? So, uh, anyway, we'll wrap it up there uh, for today's Totally Football Show. And uh, we'll be back. Hopefully the listeners will be too on Monday when we review all of that action. Duncan, Tom, Noz, Producer Charlie, you listener, thank you all so much. Everybody have a great weekend. Enjoy the football. Enjoy your complaints about it or whatever you're going to do with it. And uh, we'll be back with our thoughts on Monday. Ciao for now. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.